Hello and welcome to this, the very first episode of the CMO's Guide to China Marketing. My name's Stephen. I'm Mike. And each month, Mike and I will take you on a deep dive into all things China marketing, looking at some of the latest news, views and opinions, and focusing on some of the technical side of China marketing that will really help global CMOs boost their China business. We're going to start off every month with a few tasty tidbits in a section we like to call the China dumplings, and we'll kick it off with number one. So, Mike, what have you seen this week or this month that's been quite interesting? Well, we had some pretty big award shows uh, pretty recently, so I thought it was really interesting that um, a lot of the Chinese agencies don't quite perform as well as we'd like to see them do. Yeah, I saw some of that. I think I was looking at some of the numbers of uh, the Cannes Lions recently and the PR Asia Awards. I counted something like nine China agencies that were shortlisted for their campaigns, and I think something like five of those were from the same agency. I don't think it's necessarily a lack of creativity because, again, one of the the Can Lions recipients recently was a, a Chinese cosmetics brand that did a really creative campaign about age gap and the different generations and how their cosmetics work for that. The content they were producing was really really cool, really emotional, really resonated with their target audience. So I don't think creativity is necessarily an issue there. I sometimes think, especially from a PR point of view, that line between Paid and earned media in China can get a little blurry sometimes. I totally agree with you, Stephen, about the PR and the campaign awards here. Some of them were quite creative and interesting, but not nearly at the numbers that we see in, let's say, Japan, Thailand, Australia, other countries here in Asia. We'd love to see more of that and more creative PR campaigns, especially. Some of the campaigns I think are still too based on giving a journalist. A press release, and they're just going to publish it as is, which is a very old style of PR here,、mm-hmm. and、sure. it still works if you need to get something published. It's in some way easier than other countries, but on the other hand, you don't have anything interesting really, or different angles from different media. You have one press release put out to fifty different media, and then、uh, resubmitted, and it's out to three hundred, four hundred media, most that you've never heard of, but it's all over the internet, and it doesn't really bring any. <laughs> Great business impact, I would say, for the brand.、Mm-hmm. I think something that you've mentioned in the past to me as well is that a lot of sometimes a lot of the campaigns over here are perhaps a little bit over reliant on KOL marketing as well. Well, I think in in some way that they may not have much choice because either the paid advertising is extremely expensive, or else there's no social media paid channel that's very relevant, especially、mm-hmm. for B to B for the business to business. Uh, clients that we work with, especially, you know, there's not going to be、uh, a really great route、uh, through social media to do anything paid.、Mm-hmm. It's too、uh, consumer oriented.、Mm-hmm. So then we have to look at B2B media or maybe B2B KOL to supplement that. So it's a challenge for everyone, that's for sure. So have you got any cool campaigns that you've seen that you think we can, or you think some of the China marketers can learn from from maybe some other Asian territories? There was a really, really interesting campaign from Japan where the Nikkei stock market wanted to do some type of promotion and education about themselves. Okay. And what they did was they set up a coffee corner outside of the stock market where you could、uh, just go up there and buy a coffee. But the packaging all changed depending on where the stock market was. Oh wow! And 
more than that, the actual flavor of the beans changed as well. Oh. So they got more sour if the market was going down and they got more <laughs> acidic if it was going up. And it's such a cool way to uh, talk about the stock market while educate people while also making it interesting for everyone, which yeah. is the kind of campaign we love, right? Yeah, for sure, for sure. Really cool. Okay, so I've got the second China dumpling for this week and I wanted to mention that the uh, Campaign Asia Top 1000 Brands was released this week and the thing that again that really jumped out for me here was the again the lack of China brands in this list so based on I think we'll be getting a more in-depth look at the China brand specifically when that's released in September. So we can talk about that in more detail yeah. in a future episode. But um, of the China brands, WeChat was perhaps unsurprisingly the highest China brand in the list. It ranked in at 117, up from last year's position of 189. Then we had Huawei, who was at 120, dropped from 83 last year, probably for obvious reasons with, with that brand and some of the problems that they're having overseas. Xiaomi was 140, which was down from 94. And Haya, who, um, who manufacture home appliances and things like that, they were at 233, down from 174 last year. There was then uh, Tabao, which is a large uh, e-commerce channel here in China, and Alipay were in the 250s. But, you know, out of a thousand brands, it doesn't seem like a great deal for the China market so far. No, not that great, but we'll see this year. I mean, I think TikTok with ByteDance have done incredible things yeah, abroad, sure. which will influence these type of categories a lot. But we've still got some brand building to do. Yeah, for sure. I also saw uh, an interesting stat recently it comes from a company called mining lamp technology and their research report highlighted that smart speaker advertising was up 42.7 percent in china in the last 12 months so are we seeing a new dawn for smart speaker technology and the implications that might have for marketing in china? cool i mean people like to talk here so <laughs> i'm I think this is going to be really, really interesting from a from a content point of view and for for global CMOs as well. I think it's going to be another level to the localization challenge as well. So you, you've got a lot of marketing teams who are focusing on smart speaker marketing and how that works on Alexa, for example, or, or something like that, and working very hard on getting their messaging right and the, the customer journey right for that. And again as a, a China-based agency, this is where the likes of businesses like ours are going to have to or should be a useful support measure for this because it's going to be another layer of what's already quite a complex market. Have you seen the Neo uh, electric vehicles, Stephen? It's yes. The, the homemade yeah. or homegrown. Yeah. This Some of them look really cool. Looks pretty cool. It's got a great voice recognition system oh, really? inside it actually so it's worth if you can get a ride in one checking yeah. it out <laughs> okay okay and one last thing mike why don't you tell us a little bit about the dali toothpaste rebrand this one's a little bit more i don't know controversial so yeah darley toothpaste i have a i've had a pet peeve with this brand for a long time 
owned by Colgate, and it used to be called Darky Toothpaste. You're kidding. No, I'm not kidding. And if you look at it right now, it still has some kind of caricature on the packaging of this toothpaste that is reminiscent of kind of these horrible, bad old days. So what's the history then behind that brand? Is it... it was started, I believe, in the 30s. Someone had seen Al Jolson perform and decided oh, wow. that they would make a, a toothpaste that would that had something similar on it. And it took them until 1989, I read, to actually change it from Darkie Toothpaste to Darley Toothpaste. Wow. 1989, we were we were around. Well, yeah. <laughs> I was for sure. <laughs> I was too. I was 11, but I was around. <laughs> so finally, you know, after all the recent Black Lives Matter and these things, they've decided to get rid of this brand, thankfully, because, I mean, we're in a global economy. Mm -hmm. People see this toothpaste in the stores here. It's, yeah. it's ridiculous. It doesn't help anyone. You, you kind of see people sharing images of it on social media as well as almost a punchline, too. So you're right. It's I think it's long overdue an update. That was this month's China Dumplings. Next, it's the CMO Cheat Sheet. <laughs> What we're going to be doing with this section in all the future episodes is picking one aspect of China marketing, which from our experience and the CMOs that we currently work with, we know can be a bit of a pain point. And we'll be going through some of the kind of the, the secrets to how we address that and giving you a little peek behind the curtain to see how that works and will help inform your China marketing strategy. So today we're going to be looking at WeChat for B2B businesses. Mike, I'm... I guess this is one of the first things that the global CMOs, when they come to Brandigo, they, the first thing they ask about is reach out. It's a real common conversation for us to have right at the kind of early point of the relationship with a, a client. Um, what do you think makes it so much of a challenge for foreign marketers? Yeah, you're right, Stephen. So a lot of our customers come to us and they ask us to set up a WeChat or to help them consult about their WeChat and the common misconception is that they think it's something like WhatsApp or something yeah. like that, like a messaging app. Yeah. Of course, the primary use between locals here is as a messaging app. Well, that's well, how it launched as well, right? When Tencent first launched it. Yeah, that's right. It was for students, actually. Oh, wow. And so they were using it as just a chat platform. <laughs> but then it went to the next level where they added payment functions. They added the ability to incorporate apps into the program, into WeChat, and a lot of other things. Of course, you can order a taxi and dial in a movie and all these things through yep. it. But the key function is as a chat type of app. Um, for businesses, the most important thing is that you have to set up your own official account. Okay. This can be set up a bunch of different ways as a service or a subscription. And you've got all these do's and don'ts or can and can'ts about those different types of things. It's not all that critical uh, to know all the details about it. And when you set up your official account, um, generally you have to have a local entity. If you don't have a local entity, you can apply from abroad and your headquarters can actually set it up from most countries. So we can focus a little bit more on, on the technical things in a minute, but I as somebody that's got a lot of experience helping international brands with this, what are some of the kind of the first, you know, the top line challenges that you find you're addressing with, with clients? Great question. I think one of the first things is, is that the content is usually quite long form. Okay. So um, some of our customers have said, can you just use our, our LinkedIn post 
right. and stick that into the WeChat. But you can't because the LinkedIn post is two or three sentences or a paragraph and one picture. The WeChat post will have eight to nine paragraphs, pretty long, and it can have a number of pictures, uh, animated GIFs, videos, long images I've been created specifically for the WeChat. You can make it very creative. Mm -hmm. So that's the first thing is to understand what the content looks like and what type of content works well yeah. in WeChat. And what about WeChat as an advertising platform? Because again, that that's a question that I get quite a lot is, you know, these, these international multinational brands have the digital advertising strategy all mapped out and then all of a sudden they feel like it's it's falling short when they come to come come to china so you know i i would argue that in terms of as, as an advertising channel wechat is is not the most effective is that fair i i think it's fair to say for b2b businesses okay and the reason is the on the back end the platform is not great for targeting very specifically, let's say roles or titles. You can't do that. It's great if you want to target specific geographic location, interests, basic demographic type of thing. So in other words, for luxury brands and consumer brands, not bad. But for B2B brands, very challenging mm -hmm. and very expensive, actually. Yeah. So instead of that, we have to find other ways to build fans and to promote the channel. Okay. So what sort of examples could you give of that then the the best promotion for b2b businesses to promote wechat is their own sales team yeah for sure and it sounds like it's the agency cheating the way out <laughs> but it's not really if they're out there sharing the content that you've created into their channels and people start to follow it yeah if they're sending the qr code to their friends or if you're putting the qr code at a trade show or on your packaging or places where people will see it and giving them a reason to scan and follow you, then you'll build fans. Yeah. The other way is to do something like an engagement campaign where you can do little quizzes, little giveaways. Those are actually very effective. Yeah. And the lucky draw here in China, you know, taking the, the card out of a fishbowl and, <laughs> and giving a winner, you know, this is something that's at weddings, at parties, everywhere. So the concept of little giveaways is really popular here yeah one of the things that i've a sort of trend that i found really interesting perhaps over the 12 to 6 months is how some of the companies that that we've been working with are, are working very smart with wechat and it's almost becoming a sales enablement platform in its own right particularly for b2b in china you can do really really cool things with wechat now so so for some of our clients we've set up a download center where right within WeChat, the, the salesperson has the tools to download and show or share documents, product manuals, support manuals. The client or the, their customer can go there and also download them. Uh, they can use it. Uh, they can do webinars through it, all kinds of stuff. Yep. So with a little bit of effort and understanding your customer journey, you can make some excellent use of the WeChat. For sure. So I'm going to put you on the spot then. Have you got some examples of of successful accounts that you've seen lately? There are some great accounts. I'll tell you one thing though, Stephen, is I love to look at B2C accounts, sure. consumer accounts, and steal their ideas. <laughs> uh, Borrow their ideas. Yeah, that's what I meant. <laughs> Looking at you know what BMW is doing yeah. or Starbucks, actually it gives you great ideas. Yeah. And I always recommend to marketers, you know, marketing is marketing, so let's borrow and improve upon <laughs> each other's ideas. 
some great B2B channels I've seen for WeChat. Uh, I like Honeywell a lot. It's not our client. <laughs> Feel free to come over. Um, what they do is they really engage with their employees. They've got a lot of employees, mm -hmm. so it can be a very effective channel. They use the employees. They dress up in period costumes as like ancient China, and they had this as one post. Awesome. So, of course, the employees are going to share this like crazy. Yeah, for sure. And they balance that, let's say, fun content with serious educational content or thought leadership content uh -huh. combined with product content. So you can see they've got a content schedule that has great pillars that combines some elements of fun, elements of culture, along with education, product, thought leadership. And it's a balance. Yeah. And that's what's winning. I think... The, the two things that you said there which are absolutely key for me it's it's that balance if you're just going to be churning out your latest thought leadership piece it, it's going to get dry pretty soon but if you can mix that up with something that's a little bit more fun a little bit more engaging have some interactivity perhaps via the lucky draw then you're really kind of hitting that sweet spot and it's having that schedule as well looking maybe three months six months 12 months ahead and having it all planned out Right. You can be spontaneous and you can newsjack and look at what's going on to make some spontaneous and updated kind of things, but you need to have a schedule as well. So our customer UPM Pulp has a fantastic engagement campaign very recently. It was about how are you reducing your carbon footprint in your daily life? And you please upload a picture and the top five will choose to get a beautiful gift from Finland. So this was really engaging and fun, but also with a message because UPM is also about circular economy and reducing carbon footprint. So it matches what they're doing. It reaches their customers. People shared it because it's interesting and fun. And at the end, we have these wonderful pictures from different people who engaged. Yeah, that was a great campaign. Okay, so just to put all of that into summary, Here's our five things CMOs need to know to be successful on WeChat. Number one, when you create your account, use a service account, not a subscription account, unless you have a special reason not to. Service account lets you push four times a month with a number of posts within each push. It's enough for almost every B2B company, unless you need to publish every day. Number two, think about your customer journey and how WeChat fits into it. Remember, lead generation is going to take some time. WeChat may not be the most effective platform for that. But in terms of greater customer loyalty and fostering engagement over time, WeChat is perfect. But you have to have it mapped out. Number three, use it as a sales enablement tool. You can have a download center, mini programs, other tools, some marketing automation, and if your sales team is not sharing the content, there's something wrong. So this is a great tool for your sales team as well. Number four, remember that lucky draw promotion. If you're looking to grow your followers and want to do it in a quick way, having these kind of promotions, giveaways, mini quizzes, competitions will really help you to do that. Number five, build a global and local content generation program within your content calendar. Your global content is what made your brand famous in the first place and has all of your worldwide thought leadership. Your local program is what's going to resonate closer to your local customers and their clients. So having a good combination of those two things will help you have a winning content program. So there we have it. 
the first episode of the CMO's Guide to China Marketing in the can. We hope you've enjoyed listening to it as much as we've enjoyed making it. And we're looking forward to bringing you a more in-depth study of all things China marketing in future episodes. Next month, we're going to be taking a look at demand generation and lead generation and touching on some ABM stuff and how that works in China. So tune in next month for that. If you would like a bit more detail on the WeChat topics that we've covered this week, we've published a more in-depth article on our social media. You can find us on LinkedIn and Facebook at Brandigo Global or on Instagram at Brandigo underscore global. That's it for this month. See you next time.